So in first thinking about, you know, where could we be a great fit? We looked at our existing business. There's an emotional component to a diagnosis or a treatment, and they want that extra kind of warmth and handheld support. Um, there's a complexity to the medication. So injections, for instance, and maybe that is a place where the pharmacist can play a role. Um, cost and price. And so we started just thinking about, okay, where would that resonate elsewhere? Welcome to Startup Health Now, where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators reimagining the future of health. I'm Logan Plaster. Often on this show, we hear from top investors and industry stakeholders, heads of innovation at the world's largest insurers or hospitals or pharma companies. This week, we're having a more boots-on-the-ground conversation with an entrepreneur who's still in the thick of scaling a business. It's a conversation with Karen Martell, VP and GM at Alto Pharmacy. Karen built her career in tech working at Square before joining Alto in 2018, which was a pharmacy tech company at the time making its name with delightful user experiences for medical providers and free same-day prescription delivery. In a few short years, they've grown to cover 36 million people across areas including New York, Houston, Dallas, Seattle, and Las Vegas, and they recently raised $250 million to scale even more. In our conversation, Karen gets candid about building relationships with providers, how Alto thinks through their growth strategy, and why they include a piece of candy with nearly every prescription delivery. Stick around. Thanks for joining us on this Fireside Chat. Thanks for having me. So it's nice to understand a bit of who you are before we get really tactical. So I want to know, what was it that drew you to Alto Pharmacy in 2018? What drew you to the pharmacy tech space? Had you had any experiences that really introduced you to some of the things that were maybe broken in the pharmacy industry? Um, I was completely surprised by outreach from Alto when they reached out to me about a position. I thought they actually had the wrong Karen because I have zero experience in healthcare prior. Um, but the more I learned about the company, the industry, um, I'm always, I've always been very attracted to antiquated industries that haven't yet had the benefit of technology. Um, I love very cross-functional roles, dealing with a lot of stakeholders, compliance, et cetera. Um, I certainly got my fair share of that at Square and immediately saw that similarity with Alto. Um, and then in, in learning just how kind of siloed healthcare can be, what I saw in Alto right away from, from the founders was kind of the opportunity that pharmacy can play in being almost that quarterback with the patient, the provider, the payer, even the manufacturer. Um, so when I first talked to Alto, there were 100 people. It was a very small company, certainly, certainly a gamble. I loved the humility of the founders. Um, I viewed it as very kind of important work, um, highly cross-functional, and I just saw so many opportunities and vectors for growth. Um, so to my surprise, as someone with zero prescriptions and no experience in healthcare, um, I joined Alto, and it's just been an amazing three and a half years. Um, certainly highs and lows. It's it's a complex kind of business. It's a low margin business. Um, but I'm I'm sure, you know, the, what I have learned about healthcare is, is that's true across the board. So if some of our experiences can benefit others and vice versa, um, I'm excited to make that possible. 
Awesome. So we're going to talk about growth and scale and your trajectory. But to do that, it's helpful to kind of go back to the beginning. You said when you joined, there were about 100 employees. Mm -hmm. But take us back to, I believe it was 2015 when Alto uh, was started. Mm -hmm. uh, you weren't there, but sort of give us a sense of Alto's uh, beginnings. Yeah, so Matt and Jamie are co-founders, um, and they met actually working together um, at Parse, which was acquired by Facebook. Um, you know, probably similar to a lot of us, maybe got like disillusioned with kind of what they were doing um, in their career, said, you know, I'd love to have greater impact. Uh, what could we potentially do in healthcare? Um, they started to learn more about the space and they really saw pharmacy as a potential avenue to have the impact that they hope to have. Um, and they didn't know anything about pharmacy or frankly that much about healthcare. And so they started by actually, with the help of an investor, by acquiring a really small mom and pop pharmacy in the Mission District in San Francisco. Um, and so immediately they immersed themselves in the world of pharmacy. They quickly noted the, the technology behind the counter on that computer screen was really dated. And so they got to work coding that, but they also saw the power of the pharmacist knowing every person's name that came in the door. Um, and so they thought, wow, if we could kind of scale this, the local community pharmacy in a way that you have that human connection, you have that access to a pharmacist to really supplement or even be an extension of the provider team, leverage technology to kind of overcome some of the boundaries, limitations, the waste of brick and mortar pharmacy, but to still kind of have that heart and soul um, to ultimately improve kind of health outcomes and, and patients' lives. That, that's what motivated them. Um, so they worked out of a tiny closet. They got to, to work on the software that powers our pharmacy today. That really became kind of our hub. We've since evolved to having a patient app. So right from an app, your phone, you know, you can message a pharmacist with questions. You can see your medications, including names and, and photos. So that white pill, that blue pill. Um, and you can also text us or call. So we, we really accommodate patients for, for wherever they are. Um, another evolution in kind of our journey from that very start um, was, and worth noting, is we are our primary growth, growth channel is through providers. So we partner with clinics, with providers. Um, so also in that journey, we've developed AltoMD, which is our provider portal, um, which is instead of relying on phone tag and endless faxes, you can simply log in, see the status of a prescription, message our team, you know, two minutes in between appointments. Um, so a lot of a lot of evolution over the past six years. It was actually our birthday last week. Um, so of course, invited a lot of reflection and funny memories. Um, but that was our start. Nice. So kind of moving forward in the timeline, you joined in 2018, you said that there are 100 employees. Uh, what was your big objective? What, what was the what were some of the goals around your role? Yeah, my first role at Alto was general manager of our fertility um, business. And so Alto is a full service pharmacy, um, you could send any script our way. But uh, we direct our growth resources to areas we can really offer differentiated value to the provider, who's actually the one who's introducing the pharmacy to the patient, and then, of course, to the patient. Um, like many startups, you know, things, luck happens and opportunities happens. And early on in Alto's um, start was actually an opportunity with a fertility manufacturer. Um, for those maybe who aren't familiar with 
with IVF or IUI, et cetera, fertility pharmacies, they're specialty pharmacies, um, so limited distribution. Um, and we got the opportunity to actually supply those drugs. Um, and we immediately just shined in this space. Um, so the access of pharmacists, the help with benefits investigation and pricing, the same day urgent delivery, depending on what you know the latest change to your protocol is, um, really kind of resonated. So um, fertility was becoming a bigger and bigger business at Alto. And there are so many different cross-functional teams at Alto really was like, we need someone who lives and breathes this every single day. Um, and that was going to be the general manager of fertility. Um, and the, that space really spoke to me. So my first job was, was GM of fertility. Um, so my objective was to grow the business. Um, it was also to improve the customer offering. So a lot of work with operations, with product, what's the best service we could put forward. Um, and then of course, you know, to improve profitability as well, just from a business standpoint. What has the process looked like over the last couple of years to really expand into uh, new regions and new cities? If it seems like an industry where uh, really time is of the essence in terms of uh, how you how you adapt and how you grow into new um, new regions. Yeah, um, I think in any startup's history, you can look back and it looks so neat. Like we did this and then we did that. And truth be told, it's usually messy and tumultuous and there's luck and surprise involved in the whole process. Um, and so I would love to be super candid with everyone on this call in case they're at that same juncture. What do we do next? Um, early on, we had those lucky opportunities. Fertility was definitely one. It's, it's still like our biggest business, um, though we have a lot of others that are growing at a very fast clip and will probably eclipse fertility. Um, we also got an early opportunity in the HIV space. So that's another specialization. Um, we had a lot of traction early on in dermatology because dermatologists are dealing with a lot of prior authorizations. Since we can support our providers with that service, there was immediate, you know, tons of volume from dermatologists. So I can tell you how many people in San Francisco are like, oh yeah, I know Alto, I heard about it from my dermatologist. Um, in last year, at the start of 2020, we were like, okay, we could just chase all growth opportunities. And for any of you in the audience who this might resonate with, like there are a lot of those. We would have partners that had, you know, Facebook, could you come and do a pharmacy on site? Stanford, we really need help, your help with the discharge process, meds to beds, health plans, you get pulled in so many different directions. Um, and so we knew that there's so many opportunities um, for our company, but we really want to focus on areas that we can shine, um, be very, very disciplined about kind of what are our focus areas today, how do we prioritize those, deliver a truly exceptional experience for patients, for providers, um, and then grow from there. So how we decide that, um, for instance, last year, we were really looking at what are the therapeutic areas that we want to specialize on as a business? Um, where do we direct our sales resources? What is the customization that we might have on our operations team? So patient care. Um, what are the specific kind of um, customization we might do in our product um, to really cater to specific disease states and, and differentiate? Um, so I could kind of unpack any of that, but I would say in the past year and a half, we have a lot more kind of focus in really thinking about the strategy and sequencing to, to build this business over time, as opposed to if I'm really honest, early on, you're kind of 
you're, you're testing that product market fit. Yeah. You're responding to kind of inquiries and you're learning throughout the whole process. Um, then so when you get enough learning, you're kind of like, okay, I think this, I think this is the next phase for us. Um, and, did, and I could speak to future phases as well, but. Uh, did, did COVID-19, did, it, did that help uh, refine what some of those focuses would be? A hundred percent. You know what? It was so much of that focus actually overlapped with COVID-19 because COVID happened. Um, you know, we, it was soon after our big fundraise with SoftBank too. So any, a SoftBank type of investor is like, grow, chase everything, which isn't always the best <laughs> coaching when you're a startup that's trying to focus and um, and, and really deliver on follow through. Um, but then COVID happened as well. So huge surge in terms of organic adoption um, in demand. And so suddenly you're like, oh, should we do more in the direct consumer channel, even though our bread and butter has been providers? Um, also overnight providers, I mean, we, we work so closely with our provider network and they are spinning, figuring out, you know, how do I move to a virtual model? How do I set up telehealth? Like, help me. And so there was so much change. And um, I think when there is all of that ambiguity and change around you, you can end up kind of spinning. I think probably every business felt that way in the past year. Um, and so, you know, what better time to say, hey, amongst the madness here, you know, where are we going to deploy resources? How do we test some of that product market fit? Some of our um, therapeutic areas were brand new. So we had just launched our focus on endocrinology, so diabetes, cardiology. So sorting through the noise of what's COVID and what's true feedback for your offering um, is something that we, we, we like really scratched our head on every week to kind of pressure test the numbers, really think about the feedback we were getting um, to say, hey, what works right now, but what will work forevermore? Um, so I would say COVID opened up a lot of opportunity. It was also a really healthy forcing function um, for us to bring some of that focus, um, especially to be responsible stewards of that investment um, and to really build something that, that could scale and succeed long-term. I wonder if you could unpack maybe just some of the strategies around um, parsing that uh, product market fit you just described. A lot of testing, you said, you know, kind of you got a hypothesis, you want to test it in a market. Um, yeah. There's all of these verticals, um, regions, you've all these variables to deal with. So, so what are some of the ways that you would test these hypotheses? Yeah, great point. Uh, we we started with a lot of qualitative, um, qualitative and quantitative. So in first thinking about, you know, where could we be a great fit? We looked at our existing business. So as I mentioned, fertility was just a really strong start for us and thought, what about fertility, you know, makes this so good and differentiated? How do we become the market leader in just a couple of years? Um, and how might we replicate that? And so thinking about, okay, patients who, you know, there's like there's an emotional component to a diagnosis or a treatment, and they want that extra kind of warmth and handheld support. Um, there's a complexity to the medication. So injections, for instance, and maybe that is a place where the pharmacist can play a role. Um, cost and price. And so we started just thinking about, okay, where would that resonate elsewhere? Um, we then looked at more of the quantitative size of different markets. Um, so based on just market data, how much prescription spend is in different therapeutic areas. 
And you know, this might differ if we had a differ go, different go-to-market model. Since we work with providers, we're always thinking of that provider lens. Um, so how many of these medications is a given provider class can write? Um, can, so A, how big is that market? So really, is there a business engine here that we could get kind of that flywheel going? Um, and then we looked at product market fit. So this is where more of the qualitative comes in. Um, so we interviewed a lot of providers um, in endocrinology, for instance, to kind of keep with that, that line of thought, interviewed 50 providers. We also interviewed a large group of patients. We even looked within our existing patient pool to see like, oh, yeah, they're getting insulin on, on a regular basis. Maybe they would be open to sharing with us, you know, what they love about Alto and how they found out about us and why they're still with us. So that qualitative piece was really helpful. Um, we really probed on what are your biggest pain points with pharmacy. Um, so on the provider side, you know, reimbursement hassle comes up, prior authorizations, patient outcomes and adherence. On the patient side, things that we hear a lot is around price, customer service, um, the refill process, <laughs> just carving out time every month to go to the pharmacy and to call your insurance. Um, and so a lot of those anecdotes you know, just scrubbing through comments and listening to calls like that really shapes the the service offering. Um, yeah. So that's all the pre work. And then you actually get sales reps, our partnership managers who go out who ideally they have existing relationships, they're testing it with providers and we introduce it. And then you see, okay, do they actually use it? And I still remember, you know, some of these newer therapeutic areas, where we're around our desk, we're like, it's working. Like we, we would see this log of prescriptions come in. Um, and now I laugh because that same log, I can't even keep up with it. Um, but those were our early indicators of like, okay, I think we're on the right track. We followed it up with more focus groups, kind of conversations with the doctor, with the patients, um, because we're, you know, I, I tell our sales team, you guys are my eyes and ears, what's working, what's not. Yeah. And, you know, that's the feedback that I bring to our operations team and to product. You know, you're you're starting to uh, lay the groundwork for this with your with this current answer. But you talk a lot about your provider network and this the importance of the relational side of your business development of building mm -hmm. the relationships with individual providers. Um, really, I'm, I'm guessing person by person, practice by practice, um, and creating experiences for them um, that are really exceptional. So I wonder if we could, you know, once you've really sort of started that relationship, how do, what are some of the strategies that you have for, um, you know, making that a delightful, exceptional experience and making that a collaboration that lasts with pro providers? Yeah, I get so many questions from founders who are like, how do I do the provider channel? Um, and truth be told, when our founders first thought, oh, we can work with providers, it I think it's starting to work in fertility. That should just be our model. And they were testing other things too. They had Google ad, ads running. Um, and so people were like, that's not going to work. So it's almost good that our founders didn't know too much <laughs> because their ignorance uh, enabled them to kind of go into this space. So I would say, first off, how do you even capture the attention of providers? Providers under tremendous pressure and their job is changing in a way that many aren't happy about. Um, you know, they're burdened by more administrative hassle. It's less time with patients. Um, there's more consolidation, so move to bigger systems. Um, Stanford, for instance, they are very motivated by an improvement in patient experience, 
but also a reduction in staff attrition um, because you have these incredibly qualified people, whether it's providers, nurse practic practitioners who are spending so much of their time on, a, on administration. So um, the, the key value props that we offer to providers um, is savings in terms of time and cost. Um, now, so many services say that. So how do you actually back up that promise? <laughs> and so that I would really stress um, is we come in, we say that sometimes they're like, it's too good to be true. Like I don't have to do prior authorizations for three and a half hours a day, or I don't have to be like flipping through tons of papers on facts or looking at that blinking red light on my voicemail. So you start with that and then you actually have to deliver and say, this is, this is what we did. So I would say um, one way is kind of like state what you can do, but then follow up with data on, on what you did. So for instance, if I work with a provider for a month, I come back in, we, I have a little success scorecard. It's just like a Google slide template. We fill in, you know, this is how many patients we served, how many prescriptions we delivered, and this is how much time we saved you. Um, also, this is how much money we saved the patient because we proactively apply coupons. Um, and then there are a couple of other spaces, you know, for metrics that really matter to that provider. Can you reduce the clarifications, for instance? Can you help me with prior authorizations? We show then the approval rate to show our expertise in that area. So I would say that's one tip. You know, the, the, this is an audience under extreme pressure. And so you really truly have to deliver value to them. Um, and that's one way in which to, to show that. Um, a second, I would say a lot of some of the founders who approach me, it's like, well, surely the providers care about their patients. So if my service is good for the patient, they're going to recommend it. And yes, in theory, but you have to also just be really honest about all the ways in which they're pulled. Um, so for instance, like also improves adherence, which of course improves health outcomes, but on the hierarchy of priorities for a doctor who's just swimming in the to-do list and wearing multiple hats and trying to keep a private practice afloat, you know, it's maybe not the top of the list. So don't be too narcissistic in terms of like, this is what we want. So please, you know, really think of, put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Um, so that's my, my second, just be realistic about what, what motivates <laughs> um, people. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, uh, what are your thoughts on scaling that high touch relational strategy? Obviously you're adding, I'm, I'm guessing you have got a roadmap to add new cities uh, throughout yeah. the next year or two. So, so how do you keep that high touch relational strategy going? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the right, right off the bat, I kind of think of accounts in multiple stages. So you first start working with a clinic or a provider, and that's really the pilot implementation phase. Um, we want to make sure they're trained on AltoMD, which is our provider portal. Um, they know how to introduce Alto to the patient. So there up front, we have actually an additional role. We have our partnership managers, who's our sales team. They have these relationships. Um, we then have another role called provider success specialist. Um, and they are the ones that are really the bridge between sales and operations, but they are, their primary goal is to help to onboard a new clinic and to penetrate kind of share of that clinic. So looking for opportunities to build also into their workflow, looking for opportunities just to add efficiency to the practice. Um, even this past year, we were helping a lot of clinics move to telemedicine just because it's not pharmacy related, but they needed our help and we could offer that. 
So that's implementation. You then kind of move into an expansion phase for these clinics. Um, and at some point you're like, okay, we're good. Like it's more maintenance. Um, now, when, once a clinic gets to that point, um, you know, certain providers are like, wait, I used to feel so special. And it's like, you're still special. The way we keep that is that partnership manager is consistent. It's not like a SaaS play where you kind of do an implementation, you move on. These are ongoing relationships. We have that FaceTime. You always do have that support. But if you've trained that clinic to use the tools that enables them to get the greatest value, then you're also doing it in a quite efficient manner. Um, so I would say being really mindful of what is the role of sales, what is the role of provider success, and also what stage is the account at. Um, I'll also be honest, you know, it's not always rosy. Sometimes we make a mistake. You can do a hundred things perfectly for a doctor and you make one mistake and whew, all credibility can be lost. So we also have accounts that are in recovery stage. And so then maybe for a period of time, you're zooming in, you're kind of like, helicopter mode, doing everything you can to, to rebuild that credibility and trust. Um, but that would be that would be my guidance in terms of being clear about implementation, roles and responsibilities, and subsequent um, stages of that customer lifecycle. Uh, Karen, I want to talk more about the specific Alto uh, business model and kind of break down whether there are ways in which that model translates to other verticals. Um, obviously, there's a lot of interesting elements to what you're doing. One of them is uh, same-day delivery. I know this is this is a, a hot market, uh, a growing market. Um, you know what what aspects of your business model do you think um, could apply elsewhere? Yeah, and elsewhere across all industries, across in other areas of healthcare. Healthcare specifically, thinking of the folks yeah. on this call in healthcare technology. Absolutely. Um, so I think fundamentally, if I think of our model, um, it was really looking at what's antiquated across the industry as a whole. How do you address that through software and technology kind of at the core? I think delivery actually, fun fact, Alto's original name was Script Dash. And we changed that because it completely just, um, it didn't capture the full value of what we did. It sounded just like we were that last mile kind of delivery. Sure. Yep. Um, and so I think by approaching it, kind of zooming out and saying, what's broken here? How can we add value? Um, and in some cases, maybe it is just a component like the delivery. Um, for us, we were able to kind of start with that technology. Delivery was a component. Um, but I think a key thing that I would share for everybody is where can technology help? And then where can you still preserve kind of the magic of that in-person connection? Yeah. Um, so I think we're seeing that right now with the shift to telemedicine um, in terms of maybe I don't have to drive all the way to my doctors and wait, but I can still have that, that conversation. And that's maybe better than me Googling what a certain rash might mean on my arm or something oh, like sure. that, right? Um, I think the, the other thing that I would emphasize is, you know, I can't tell you how many people are like, oh, you work at a delivery pharmacy. Like you must've had a great year and the business has done very well in the past year, but I, you know, it's not, it's not like a dramatic switch. Like we are changing a very ingrained behavior. Like people have such ingrained views of healthcare generally, but even for me, after working at Alto for three and a half years, you say the word pharmacy, I can't even help it. My brain, I immediately start picturing like a line and a counter and colorful Tupperware behind said counter. And so changing people's behavior, whether it be at a provider level, a patient, 
is, is a challenge. Um, so I think whenever we are introducing innovation, like believing in something better, um, having that mindset of like, this, this could take change. But if you look in the retail space and grocery space, like there's so much evidence that it, it will happen. And I think the past year has probably accelerated healthcare, you know, by at least five years in terms of the comfort, the appetite for change, um, and other ways in which we could disrupt small aspects of healthcare. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. I mean, as you look at the competitive space and you look at big players, big pharmacy players like CVS, Walgreens, um, how do you see them trying to keep up or starting to innovate? Kind of what are you watching out for with the big players? Yeah, I think there's there's been a, a lot of innovation um, because of COVID and some of the incumbents like a CVS or Walgreens moving to delivery. Um, I think one of the areas that has been kind of stagnant, and I would say this also applies in other areas, like when do you do cash versus insurance? And in some cases, you know, there are like a lot of people who are, who are just like, yeah, sure, I have health insurance for my employer, but like, I'm just going to pay out of pocket for this thing. Like, you know, that is a change in, in people, but I would say for CVS and Walgreens, um, you, you know, great movement in the past year in terms of offering delivery, um, other initiatives to kind of help with cost um, and coupons, harder to do across that many pharmacies um, because there are so many different coupons, copay cards, et cetera. It's hard to kind of keep that in it. We are lucky in that we have our, we can build it into our software. So it automatically applies. Um, but for us, we love all innovation in pharmacy because as I mentioned, it's such an ingrained view of what it is. It's a huge industry. It, it is like the more innovation and change that happens, the more people will start to believe in a better pharmacy. Yeah. Um, so even Amazon coming into pharmacy, like right. as soon as that headline came out, which of course we were, we were aware of and very close to, you know, I get a text from my mother. It's like, honey, is this bad for your company? <laughs> no, it's actually, it's great. Like this is talk about like a behemoth of a company that can kind of like change people's view of it. And kind of, you know, COVID already helped everything from like, oh, and get my groceries delivered, you know, to, to thinking about what other convenience could, could come your way. Um, but yeah, I would say I've seen a lot of innovation and I'm thrilled about it. I think it's fantastic for Alto. It's fantastic for people uh, across the country and definitely is, is doing a lot for the industry as a whole. Thinking about your business model, uh, you know, the same day delivery, some of these things like that sort of grab the headlines. But obviously, like you said, the business model is uh, much more diverse, uh, much more multifaceted. Uh, among the things that you do and these different services you provide, uh, is there an aspect that is uh, sort of surprisingly difficult? So some, somebody might think, okay, it's the last mile, that's the hardest part, but sometimes mm -hmm. there's something behind the curtain that actually is the real challenge in doing uh, a high-tech, high-touch pharmacy delivery. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, there are so many examples I'm trying to think. So one, I would say um, automated billing. Um, so, so many startups, you think about automation and, um, having worked in other tech companies, there's a lot of things that you can automate pretty smoothly when you are dependent on getting a prescription from a doctor, um, which can be super messy, hard to even decipher, um, then maybe getting insurance information, but more likely trying to match the patient to insurance coverage, um, then maybe asking for the patient for supplemental information. Um, 
then trying to magically say, okay, everything's built, it's perfect, it's ready to deliver, and we invite you via text to kind of schedule your delivery here. Um, so it seems so simple to the patient <laughs> what actually goes on behind the scenes in terms of intake, billing, data check is there's so much complexity to it. And I'm actually incredibly proud of our product and Eng team in terms of the transformation work they've done. But at the same time, I know we're going to be like fighting for literal percentage points for many years to come to improve that process. So that's just one example. Um, I would say another in because of COVID, suddenly so many people who had just had one delivery with us, maybe from their dermatologist was like, oh, I got to move my other prescriptions over to Alto. Yeah. So we had a transfer team, you know, like that was a function and we help people with transfers, which involves calling their pharmacy, getting it over. There's a lot of faxing and phone, you know, hold times, et cetera. Um, and so we now you can take a picture of your prescription kind of use it in the app as part of that transfer process. We can make all that happen in the background. And then it's an invite to be like, what delivery window would be best for you? So seems super easy and like, oh, how delightful. Like, yeah, I'll take a photo. This is so cool. Um, but it started as a very messy kind of manual process behind the scenes um, that we just chipped away at and got better and better. So that would be another kind of more recent and timely um, example uh, as well. Yeah, it's often it's often the things behind the curtain that are the stickier wickets. Um, exactly. You know, Karen, I noticed that your blog is very comprehensive. It's really beautifully done, and it got me thinking about. Uh, I mean, given your background too in communications, uh, what role you see um, patient communication, patient education playing in this pharmacy revolution? Yeah, it's um, so I'll share a survey <laughs> uh, that we did. This was when we were actually doing a rebrand. Um, we used to have kind of a very different color palette that a lot of our patients were like, this doesn't really capture like who you are. So we started this rebrand. We did a patient survey. Um, and, and one of the things that we asked were, do you, do you use any other pharmacies you know, for your medications. And some patients said, yes, for my non-derm meds, because they knew us as a dermatology pharmacy. Or like, you are great at my fertility medications, but they don't even think that they could get other medications from us. So I share that just like, of like, oh, face plants, like complete missed opportunity on our behalf. Um, so that was one of the early, like, yeah, we got to step it up on content, um, but it's a commitment you know, you, you need to have frequency. You want to make sure there's quality there, but I would say we've done a lot in the past year in terms of, we have a patient newsletter, um, which we see great engagement on. I mean, just even a funny story. We actually include a caramel in every delivery because instead of it feeling like it's like your medication package, it's almost like a care package. It's like a little surprise and delight. And, um, every, one single, of the every single prescription delivery. Yeah, we have Comes some because we do work in diabetes where okay. some clinics are like, please don't include that um, for some of our weight loss clinics, but no, for every, every Makes delivery. Sense. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and it was discovered, um, Jamie, our co-founder who has like a total sweet tooth, he was on a road trip in Montana and tried this caramel and just loved it. And uh, it's great because it's heat resistant. <laughs> it's not like chocolate, which like gets really messy in the heat. Um, but uh, yeah, so in, in terms of, you know, that caramel then 
like became a topic to our support team. And people are like, where can I get that caramel? So we like actually included that in a newsletter. So there's very like meaningful content, like, you know, you're managing your diabetes, what should you know and prepare for the holidays? Um, there's great personal stories in terms of like hear from this patient who went through IVF, what a great outcome, you know, what could you learn or relate to, but there's also kind of fun things, um, whether it be like yeah. where to get car caramels or how much should you be sleeping and, and things of that nature. Um, and we think about content, just thinking of our different audiences for, for patients and then also for providers, just to stay top of mind to them, um, to build their trust, their credibility and expand their view of what Alto is. Karen, I live in uh, downtown Baltimore, and we have a lot of uh, what people call pharmacy deserts. Uh, mm -hmm. People talk of a lot about pharmacy deserts, big swaths of land, uh, lots and lots of people really with no access. And I read that one Alto uh, distribution location covers the same geographic area as about 400 chain pharmacy locations. That's we should probably unpack that because that's, that's kind of a big number um, yeah. with its delivery service. But I wondered if you could talk about how this strategy really starts to chip away at the healthcare inequity issues, maybe even particularly in cities. Yeah, this is an area I feel super passionate about. Um, and we feel like we can have a really big impact. Um, so I, you know, the 400 locations that was actually from the Bay Area. Um, so I, you know, I, I know a lot of cities in, in our, where you just go around, and you're like, oh, there's another one, there's another one. And if you think about the rent um, and just kind of maintaining that real estate footprint, it's pretty massive. Um, so one of the biggest kind of assumptions that we have to overcome at Alto, people hear about it and they're like, so how much does it cost? And we're like, free. And they're like, oh, then you're not going to last. Like, you can't make money at this. And we're like, actually, we can because we're saving all this money from not having this big real estate footprint. And we can use those savings and providing a better customer experience. So a much higher ratio of, of people who are ready to care for patients and a lot more pharmacists who you can have direct access to. Um, and so when you think of some of those pharmacy deserts, you know, so long as you get enough volume of shipments, the courier model, so we hand deliver all of our prescriptions, the economics of it become much more compelling than mail order, believe it or not. So people are like, no way. I'm like, yeah, if you were to see the PL, it really, really is. So there is a, you have to get to a certain critical mass. Um, so our, our thought is right now, we're really focused on getting sales rep density across our 10 markets. We'll be launching, you know, six to eight next year, likely. Um, and so that footprint expands, we increase awareness among providers and patients, that volume grows, the economics become even more favorable, then give us more leeway to expand um, and invest in places that maybe right out the gate, the economics are harder, um, but we can certainly get to a point where it's sustainable. Um, so we see great opportunity there. I would say related to that is, you know, sometimes um, we work with manufacturers on a lot of like launch of new products, um, if there's customized workflows, et cetera. Um, and so when they're trying to build this launch plan, you wouldn't believe it, but you just inevitably default to kind of the primary geos. Um, putting, you know, it just, it's an illustration of the pharmacy desert um, situation. Um, so we really think about, you know, right now, this is our bread and butter, this courier hand delivery model, and we want to scale that, but we probably will think of other options for that long tail so that we can accommodate everyone and certainly bring a holistic offering to our partners. Um, so that, that's a little bit about our business model on that front.
That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, you, you just said that the, you know, the model really just makes a lot more sense in terms of drawing down uh, the cost of real estate, having, uh, you know, locations. I mean, what's going to happen in your, if you succeed, what's going to happen to these CVS and Walgreens bricks, brick and mortar locations? What's kind of your vision for that evolution if the real model is direct from app to home delivery? Yeah, you know, I think it's forever going to be a mix. Um, you know, I, I don't think we are the perfect solution for all people. Um, we interview um, some of our older patients, you know, when, when you do interviews and maybe they get one medication delivered and, but they love going to the pharmacy. It's like a weekly outing and they know their pharmacist and I certainly don't want to rob someone of, of that. Um, but I know, you know, there are other people who are like, yeah, I'm balancing work. I have three kids. Like, great. If you could bring that to my door, oh, you can do my whole family. Fantastic. So I, I don't think there's going to be a one size fits all. Um, yeah. And maybe that's why I'm, I'm like so positive about all of the innovation across the competitive landscape. It's a $450 billion industry. And, you know, we don't need to have one winner, but I think there will be a lot of change. Um, so I think just as we've seen with retail across the board, probably fewer retail pharmacies, um, maybe even a CVS and Walgreens, you know, they have their kind of hallmark locations, but they're leading with some of their delivery services um, in a bigger way. Um, I think too, you know, the size of some of these retail locations could change um, just because, you know, we're getting things more often online. Maybe you're not making that trip to buy, you know, cleaning supplies or toothpaste, et cetera, as often, because you may just get that um, in other, in other ways. Sure. Um, Maybe yeah. it's more. Maybe it's more about that relationship with the pharmacist. You know, when you really want that face-to-face -face contact, there's a place to go. Um, yeah. When you and need we it. we hear that even from our pharmacist. So um, I have a a pharmacist who's kind of my clinical lead, who's like really my guide for everything that we do in the endocrinology space. Um, and he's worked at at big pharmacies, and he's just like when you hear the realities, you know, you're pharmacist, you're running around, you're trying to care for patients, you're simultaneously ringing up like Skittles and Dr. Pepper, because maybe someone was like that line shorter, I'm going to go there. And so you have less interaction with patients. And so pharmacists miss that. And then patients do as well. Like you, you maybe, you know, don't want to ask a question with five people behind you in line, right. you kind of okay, like you resign to the fact that you're going to get this bag with tiny print in case you have a reaction. You don't really know what you're going to do if that happens. Right. So I think that desire for human connection, um, that privacy, that access, I think is, is really key in both directions for the pharmacist and for the patient. Um, last question from me, Karen, I really appreciate everything you've shared so far. Um, just going really big picture here, you've got um, a couple dozen uh, founders on the call. And then of course, all the people who will watch this on YouTube. Um, just, I'm just thinking about your, your sort of top line words of wisdom and encouragement to founders, entrepreneurs, who maybe earlier in the process of building out their, pro their, their products, testing it in markets, thinking about how to scale. Uh, just what are some of those sort of high level words of wisdom? Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, always prioritize your customer. Um, so really look for their feedback, make sure you're keeping yourself honest and not projecting what you might wanna hear um, and balancing it with what they say, but also what you see in terms of usage and et cetera. So that'd be one, customer first. Um, 
I think a second one would be have patience. Um, I think I've worked at some companies and industries where you can do dramatic change really fast. In my experience, this is kind of something that you chip away at. Um, so bringing patience for yourself, patience for your team, patience for partners, I think is important and is a funny one to say when you're in a startup and everything's urgent, um, but just forest from the trees and having that patience. Um, the, the third one I would say, and um, you know, we've, we've encountered this, like investors have so much to, to offer, um, but you, we are all as humans falling or relying upon paradigms of like things that we know, things that worked. And we are at the forefront of an industry that's changing so rapidly. We could connect to different industries, but there are uniqueness to it. And so really tuning in to like trusting your gut, um, taking feedback as much as possible, but parsing it to say like, do they know best? Is Should I just blindly go forward with this because this is what I was told or this is what worked elsewhere? Because there could be just a slight change or just a slight different flavor um, that could really lead you to your path for success. Um, so those would be my three key ones. Uh, Karen, thank you so much for taking the time today. I can speak for everybody when I say um, your insights were highly appreciated. Uh, your um, vulnerability, just opening up about what was hard, what worked, and what didn't work. So we appreciate you taking the time with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 350 companies, go to startuphealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Rolling Fund in collaboration with AngelList, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.